You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, 34-year police veteran and the host of this show. We've got lots to talk about and I've got a great guest awaiting us in the interview room. I think you're going to be highly entertained. But let's take a walk into the briefing room where I'm going to give you my view from the blue. The COVID madness that is infecting this country and affecting this country is uh, having a severe effect on law enforcement all over the nation. First of all, and foremost, is the danger that this virus is inflicting on law enforcement officers all over the country, especially corrections officers. We're at 106 deaths so far, and there's no end in sight. And many of these deaths are our corrections officers. They're in, uh, you know, locked in with these inmates. And uh, but but here's the here's the irony. Prisons and jails all over the country who have uh, political motivated, politically motivated uh, governors and mayors like in New York and in California and many other places are basically doing wholesale releases of prisoners. And they're, they're using COVID-19 as the excuse. Now, of course, like New York, they've been basically doing everything they could to empty the jails way before the COVID virus. Remember in January is when they, uh, in New York, Cuomo and, and, uh, and that, that bozo mayor de Blasio decided to basically uh, release everybody unless they were arrested for the most egregious offenses. They called them, uh, they called them a no, no bail uh, for um, what they are calling nonviolent offenses. But I don't know, if, 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 you, were, if you were the victim of, uh, of an assault and a sexual assault and a battery, I would consider that violent, wouldn't you? But uh, in, uh, in, in, in liberal speak in New York, uh, they don't consider that violent. So they've been basically releasing people without bail since the, since the first of the year. Well, they have simply speeded up the process. Um, and not just New York. The, the police commissioner in Philadelphia, uh, along with that, the uh, activist prosecutor there, they too have been uh, doing wholesale non-prosecutions and releasing people. Well, the, the police commissioner, Danielle Outlaw, who, is, uh, who was the police chief in Portland and was one of the most ineffective, useless police chiefs on the face of the planet, got hired at $267,000 or $287,000 a year to be the police commissioner in, New York, in Philadelphia. This is kind of funny. I mean, in a in a weird kind of way, but her first her first act as the new police commissioner. Now remember, Philadelphia is one of the largest you know police departments in the country. 
Her first act, official act, was to uh, change the nail polish policy. Yeah, you heard me right. Change the nail polish policy. Why, you ask? That's a good question. Because during her first press conference, she was out of policy because she had black nail polish on. And Philadelphia police policy is if you are in uniform, you can only have clear polish. So the first thing she did as the new police commissioner in a department that has a lot of issues, she decides to tackle that big one. Well, then the COVID hits and she issues a statement. Well, actually, she issued an order to her cops to not arrest pretty much anybody, not arrest thieves, not arrest trespassers, not arrest shoplifters, not arrest basically anybody that's committing any type of property crime. And, uh, of course, it only took about, you know, eight seconds for the bad guys to hear that. And what did they do? Oh, I know this is going to shock you. But they went on a rampage. And poor shopkeepers simply had to watch while these animals uh, just ransacked their stores and they were powerless to do anything. Because the police said, ah, we're not arresting anybody anymore. I, I mean, it's just, it's insane. All in the name of COVID. Of course, I'm sure there are no other political uh, agendas at, at, at play here. Um, but the, uh, the shopkeepers and the people in Philadelphia lost their minds. It's just it, the, the insanity of, of what's taking place. The sheriff... Uh, in uh, Fresno, here's a headline. Sheriff says deputies too busy re-arresting freed inmates to enforce lockdown. Because that's a whole nother can of worms that we're talking about here. Law enforcement and their orders to enforce social distancing, mask wearing, lockdowns in people's homes. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to I want to read this this headline to you one one more time sheriff says deputies too busy re-arresting freed inmates to enforce lockdown fresno county sheriff margaret mims said her deputies won't be out enforcing shelter in place orders because they're too busy locking up the inmates who were released because of zero dollar bail policies now this went into into effect in in october of 2019 in California. <clears throat> Are we seeing a pattern here? California, New York, both of them, uh, New Jersey, um, releasing people on no bail, all in the name of uh, social progress. Yeah, that's, that's what it is, social progress. Meanwhile, every bad guy that is being released is out there reoffending. Here's a here's a here's a, a perfect example. Here's the headline: 80-year-old quote perfect grandma unquote stabbed to death by career criminal. The suspect had been arrested more than 67 times. An elderly woman was fatally stabbed by a career criminal who was out on bond. The brutal murder happened when she was at Walgreens picking up a prescription. 
she was uh, stabbed in the chest. The, uh, the law enforcement said uh, Randy Lewis, the suspect, had been arrested more than 67 times and was out on bond. Um, he never should have been free. And now an innocent woman is dead. This happened in, in Houston. Um, violent felon. Released without bond, stabs a grandmother to death. Uh, this was in uh, Houston. Um, they released this guy without bond. A deputy uh, who, who uh, criticized this, um, I'm sorry, he's a police officer, criticized the um, enforcement of lockdowns and social distancing, did a video about it. And now they are trying to terminate him for expressing his views. Uh, this is happening in um, Washington, Port of Washington. Uh, excuse me, Port of Seattle in Washington. Uh, he had the he had the 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 nerve to actually talk about his belief that it is unconstitutional and illegal to enforce for law enforcement officers to enforce through arrest or court uh, citations, uh, lockdowns and shelter in place orders. And you know what? I have no doubt that he's right. In fact, governors around the, the country are facing increasing pushback from law enforcement all over the country. Now, why? Because there's 18,000 different police agencies in this country. And that means 18,000 different leaders for those agencies. Not everyone is just going to go with the program and say, okay, governor, um, whatever you say. Because they're, the cops are the ones holding the leaky bags. You know, a mayor like de Blasio ordered police to enforce social distancing and, and mask wearing and all this other stuff. Well, what happens when a police officer is out there trying to, quote, enforce a law, unquote, um, and maybe it's a law, maybe it's not. This has not been decided. There's no statute that says, I got to stay home. There's no statute that says, I got to wear a mask. There's no statute that says, I got to be six feet away from the nearest person. But the governor and the mayor... In, in New York, they're pretending that it is. And who are they sending out to be their goons to enforce these regulations that they are imposing? The police. So what happens when the police go up to a guy who is not standing six feet away, and they tell him to, and he tells him to go piss up a rope? Well, guess what? They're not just going away. They're going to make an arrest because that's what they've been told to do. And that's what happened in New York. And, of course, it turned into a violent uh, resisting arrest. The officer took the suspect into custody, uh, used physical force on him. It was videotaped, as is everything. And then the mayor calls for the, the, the officer to be fired for using force. This is the kind of games that these, these punk politicians play. They sit in their, in their little safe zones and they order their minions around as if they were uh, 
you know, omnipotent, caring nothing about the danger that they're putting their cops in. The only thing I can hope is that they they come to their senses, they open up this economy, they allow for people to go back to their normal lives and 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 leave it up to them to take the risks that they feel necessary in order to conduct their life. Don't use the police as your personal army to enforce your own political edicts. And, uh, you know, the, the, the real issue here is that the incredible danger that cops are facing has just been exacerbated because of politics. Well, that's about all the time we have here in the briefing room, but there's a great guest waiting for you. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, I got some big news for you guys. With an invite, that's right, I'm going to invite you to a party. Well, it's much more than a party. It's a celebration. It's a celebration of law enforcement unity and pride. This is going to be the biggest celebration for law enforcement officers and those who support them in America. And it's being put on by the Wounded Blue, the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. And if you haven't figured it out, I happen to be the CEO and founder of that organization. But we're going to have a event like no other. It's going to be held in Las Vegas, October 17th of this year. By that time, I'm sure all this COVID insanity will be gone. And we are going to have a much needed celebration. So um, it's going to be dinner. It's going to be cocktail. It's going to be entertainment. It's going to be uh, an incredible silent auction and live auction. Uh, But it's going to be a whole lot more. There are going to be some huge, fun surprises. But it's also going to be a celebration of the men and women of the law enforcement community. They have a right to be proud, and the unity that they share is something that uh, that needs to be celebrated. So you're invited, and it's not even expensive, okay? It's $90 per person, and you get dinner, you get drink, you get all that other entertainment, and uh, it's going to be in Vegas October 17th. There's going to be discounted hotel rooms, um, I think for about $99 a room at the... Um, at a hotel which is going to be near the venue. It's going to be held at the Cox Pavilion. So um, I want you to go to Facebook right now. Go to the Brothers in Blue Bash. You can get tickets there. You can also buy a table for only $850. It's a table for 10 So bring your buddies, bring your spouses, your girlfriends, both if you know if, if you can get away with it, and, and come out to this event. Um, Brothers in Blue Bash, Las Vegas. It's on Facebook. We have our own Facebook page. And also looking for people who want to sponsor this. If you're a business that wants to have its name out there in front of thousands of American law enforcement officers and their families showing that you support them, you want to contact me at randy at thewoundedblue.org. It's randy at thewoundedblue.org. The Brothers in Blue Bash, October 17th. And you want to be here for that. See you then. I want to talk to you about CBD, cannabis products that are used for 
therapeutic purposes. Now, um, I didn't really understand about this product. Uh, there are so many of them on the market, and I, I never really paid attention to it because I was always afraid of actually using it because, you know, as a cop for as many years as I was, just the thought of using a cannabis product made me really nervous. You know, I expected, okay, so am I going to get high from this? Well, there is a product out there called Luxvite, L-U-X-V-I-T-E, and it is all kinds of different forms of CBD. And I was very hesitant to try it, but a um, retired law enforcement officer from the NYPD uh, began a company that uh, distributes this product. And he came to me and he explained to me that he had done a lot of research and found a THC-free product that, um, that, was, that was amazing. So I, I got I to say that I figured, well, what the hell, let me, let me try some of these things. And... Um, all I'm going to say is that I, I utilized some of these products, and I was amazed at the results that I got, literally amazed. And so now um, I'm kind of a proponent. I had heard from people that I worked with that, that some of these CD products were, were damn good. And uh, Luxvite uh, is, a, is a product that, that has been um, thoroughly tested. It is, uh, as I said, THC-free. You can actually go online and look at the um, the purity of the product, and so it's really it's really amazing stuff. So, Luxvite is um, is the brand, and it's luxvitecbd.com. That's l-u-x-v-i-t-e-cbd.com. Now, um, because th- this uh, uh, provider is former law enforcement, uh, retired law enforcement, I should say. He is offering uh, my listeners a, a discount on this product. And so if you put in the code um, uh, Blue Lives, uh, you can get this product at a discounted rate as well. So this is, this is pretty amazing stuff. Go to LuxviteCBD.com. Check it out and put in the code Blue Lives. And, uh, and get a discount at the same time. Give it a try. LuxFightCBD.com Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you 
for making it all possible. Well, shouldn't news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the Voices America Out Loud Talk Radio. I have a very special guest with me in the interview room here at Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. He is law enforcement, but he's much more than that. Uh, his commander, Vinny Montez. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Vinny if you don't know who he is. He is an active duty working police commander in uh, the Boulder uh, County Sheriff's Department in Colorado. But he is much more than that. He is a uh, seasoned uh, comedian and has appeared in all kinds of places and uh, is doing some amazing stuff. Vinny, thanks so much for joining me here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Uh, Randy, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. This is really a, a treat for me because uh, I've, been, I've been following you and watching your performances for quite a while. Uh, let's talk, I, I want, I want my, my listeners to get to know you a little bit. First of all, uh, you grew up in, in uh, Colorado, in Boulder. and yep, I'm uh, a native. So tell us a little bit about, I, I know that you, you became a law enforcement officer at a very young age, but um, was this something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, uh, from a very young age, I grew up, uh, not to be too cliche, but um, I grew up watching Ponch and John on chips. And <laughs> every, t every time that thing song would come on, where they'd be riding on their motors, you know, on the highway there, I'd run around the house. On, and I don't know what, it, it, it kind of stuck with me. And I was like, man, I want to do that one day. So the, the earliest I could really start getting into law enforcement was 14 uh, as a law enforcement explorer. Uh, in our agency that I currently work for, uh, you couldn't start with them until you were 16 as an explorer. So I joined a smaller agency um, just outside of Boulder uh, at 14. And um, Chuck Andrews was the advisor there. Uh, and uh, he brought me on at a very young age. So I started getting, I got my indoctrination into law enforcement there. I started my law enforcement career as an explorer at uh, 14 years old. I joined an agency just outside of um, Boulder because I couldn't get on with the agency I currently work with because I only took explorers on at about 16 years old. Uh, so I got indoctrinated really quickly um, in law enforcement and I started working my way up through uh, the career. Uh, when I turned 18, while I was still in high school, they hired me as a 9-1 call taker uh, at the sheriff's office. And then when I turned 21, just after I got out of the academy, I was reserved for not even half a year uh, before they offered me an opportunity to go to the jail. Um, and I really didn't want to go to the jail. And I actually graduated the FTO program on the street of the reserve. I could have gone right to the uh, street full time. But they felt that I needed a little bit of uh, life experience. So the opportunity came in the jail. And even though I didn't want to go, um, it was probably the best experience I ever had for law enforcement. Really? Because it really, oh, yeah, it really humbled me out. Um, it taught me a lot about, you know, following through with what you say you were going to do because that's so important inside of a jail uh, situation. And uh, I had a sergeant, his name was Ross Martinez, and uh, he put his boot in my ass on a regular basis. <laughs> he was a Marine Corps vet <clears throat> and uh, was in Vietnam and a really good dude. And uh, he taught me just a lot of good principles about how to really be effective dealing with people. 
So, uh, and then from there, went to patrol and uh, worked everything you could, DUI, uh, then went to detectives, worked property crimes, which I did not like. Uh, and then I got recruited over to the uh, narcotic task force and I worked uh, two tours there, once as a supervisor. Uh, and I got promoted sergeant, worked uh, street for uh, a long time, including another tour in the task force. And then uh, eventually we, uh, they made the decision to make me a commander. And uh, a commander for us, you know, I don't know how that works out in Las Vegas, but that's the equivalent to like a lieutenant in most agencies. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's, well, it's a very impressive title. I mean, commander. Oh, well, <laughs> it, is what it, it is what it is. <laughs> it's, like, it's like James Bond. Yeah, James Bond. Commander Bond. Commander Montez. Yes. So that's the <laughs> that's the law enforcement like a quick synopsis of the of my career coming up. So how many years have you done on the job? Uh, twenty. This is twenty two for me this year. Um, May actually, I think it's like the early part of May is uh, twenty two years for me uh, as an actual officer. But in law enforcement, you know, um, a long time, the better part of my life. You know, I'm forty four yeah. right now. So like 30 years almost total being in the business. And just think, you can retire at a young age. Oh, I hope so. I hope I, everybody's getting a little par paranoid because we're on a system called Para here in Colorado at the Sheriff's Office. Not all agencies are part of it, but it's like a pension fund. But, uh, you know, the market, everybody's kind of watching that, see what happens. Sure, sure. Okay, so, so you've been, I mean, you're a seasoned officer. You started young. You've 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 been uh, involved in a lot of different assignments. You 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 do you, do you really do you still love being a cop? You know I love it. Um, I don't like being quarantined. I don't think any cop likes being quarantined, but uh, <laughs> I I love it. I love the uh, I don't like the paperwork as much as uh, I thought that I maybe would, but I like being out on the street. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be a patrol commander still, um, so I get to interact with the sergeants and go out on the street but you know nobody likes seeing the commander show up on a call or anything like that so um, <laughs> you, you know I, I do love it man I love it when I get to be in the middle of it and I've been a what they call a shit magnet my entire career so most of the people don't want to go out to eat with me when it comes to lunchtime because we'll get, into, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into something and uh you know it's just the way it goes though that's it that's it all right so let's let's go to your other life let's go to your other yeah. life um, you are a, I mean, by, you, you know, you Google your name and you come up all over the internet and, you know, you've got, you, you've done, I mean, you're really a successful comedian. I mean, this is, you're, you're a no bullshit, honest to God, successful comedian. How the hell did you get started in that? Well, uh, first, thank you very much for those kind words. Uh, I got into it indirectly. I didn't. You know, I got to go back a little bit here. Um, when I was a young officer, uh, I remember when our current sheriff took over, um, you know, I was always the guy that would be at work. Um, I wanted to work overtime. I, I, I count down the hours from when I came on shift. I was like, oh, man, I only got 12 hours, you know, 11 hours, 10 hours. I just loved being out on the road. Um, I loved being, on, you know, working. And um, I've been that way my whole life. You know, I want to be involved. I want to be out doing something. And uh, burning the candle at both ends was a common expression that people would share with me. Like, man, you need to slow down. You know, this is a long career. And I kind of didn't understand what they were saying. I just was like, man, I'm good. You know, I can, I can go all the time. And it wasn't until um, 
probably 10 years into my career where I was kind of, I would say hit the wall, you know, as, as police officers, we, you know, there can be acute trauma, <clears throat> acute trauma, like where you have an OIS um, or, you know, a situation like that. Um, and that can be very impactful on a deputy, you know, especially, um, you know, depending on who you are, or you can be in my circumstance where, you know, like I explained earlier, I've been a shit magnet my whole career. You know, we go to the calls and all people that are in this job, we're exposed to things that are not normal for the average person to experience. The things we see, taste, smell, hear, um, that all accumulates over a period of time. And the more we expose ourselves to it, the quicker I think we start filling that pot, uh, or what I like to call a chalice. And that really is what happened for me, um, is I was filling my chalice, I was working all the time, and I really didn't have um, an outside outlet. And over a period of time, it really caught up to me. And even though my sheriff had pulled me aside and said, hey, man, you need to take some time off, you you know, not work so much. He gave me this book by Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, it's an emotional survival for law enforcement. That, and, is, that uh, is the Bible. Every police officer should read that. Everybody should read that. I kind of like tossed it to the side initially. And uh, of course, being young and not really having perspective like the sheriff had. And uh, lo and behold, 20, 2008 comes along. Uh, I'm an undercover narcotics detective at the time. On my day off, I decided to go play poker. And I come upon an accident in a canyon or uh, in our jurisdiction. It was very, we, we call it the Narrows. Um, there's no cell phone service or anything like that there. A uh, young lady ran into the roadway, flagged me down. Uh, I had my badge and my gun, in, you know, with me, but, you know, not out. And uh, she told me there was this accident. I went over to it. This kid was in the car, uh, agonal breathing, and um, just not a good situation. So we called for people to send for help. Um, long story short, I ended up trying to get this kid out of the car once he stops breathing. And um, during the process of this, uh, I asked one of the ladies to get the kid's legs free because he was a tall, lanky kid. And I, had, I was in the front passenger seat and I was trying to pull him toward his back towards my chest and he was getting caught up. And so she went around and she was, I was asking her to clear his legs and she was doing everything but what I was asking her for. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm trying to find the gun. And I told everybody up to this point, of course, you know, I'm an officer off duty and, uh, kind of chill went through my spine going, you know, what did I get myself into? I really didn't, you know, have the time to dissect the circumstances of what was going on. Right. And so I just yelled at everybody like, let's not worry about that and help me get this kid out. And so they did and uh, got him out. It was a cold crystal night. You know, there was still snow on the sides of the road. Uh, the road was dry itself. It was just one of those cold nights where you could see the stars. And I'm working on this kid and one of the other officers finally arrived and we worked this kid forever. A lot of volunteer fire departments in that area, and the bus had to come from downtown Boulder. Uh, felt like forever when they got there. <clears throat> and, you know, this kid had uh, aspirated a little bit, and um, it, it got pretty gruesome on scene. You know, his uh, blood was coming out and a lot of stuff like that. And it just wasn't a normal scene. And so finally they relieved us. And one of the guys I came up with, he's also a commander now, um, Jason, he, he showed up. He was a sergeant at the time, and he put me in his um, – in his rig and he said, you know, just chill out here for a little bit. And there was a brand new Starbucks sitting in the center console. So I just started drinking it. It wasn't mine. I knew that, but it was kind of like just a little bit of relief for having coffee, but I just felt this overwhelming warm sensation come over me. And I started breaking down. I was crying and I didn't understand it because I'd never been on a scene in my entire career 
where I just felt this uh, release that was coming at me. And, you know, things kind of calmed down a little bit. And I walked back over to where they were still working on this kid. And one of the girls that was with him, you know, she grabbed me. And she was like, is he going to be okay? You know, and I knew he wasn't. I mean, you could plainly tell. You've been in this job. You know. And uh, I just told her what probably most of us would say. I, you know, the best people are working on him right now. And uh, that was just the catalyst that day for me to start recognizing that uh, I had been pushing it too far. Uh, my sole identity, I feel I could safely say, was that of just being a cop. Uh, I had dabbled in comedy in 2007, the middle of 2007, like six, seven months earlier. And uh, I just was like, you know, I got to do something separate. And that's kind of when Dr. Kevin Gilmartin's words kind of really started um, impacting me where I was like, wow, I got to have a separation. And you don't really know how to do that when you're so far into it. And to acknowledge that kind of um, quote unquote weakness, especially in front of your colleagues, like I really didn't discuss this with a lot of people. Uh, I kept it to myself uh, because I didn't want to have people think that I wasn't capable of helping them or being able to back them up. Right. And so I kind of dealt with this privately for a long time. And then over the course of starting to do comedy, you know, you're breaking your way in. When I first started, I could barely do two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. And uh, in 2011, I believe it was, uh, I'd been doing comedy for, you know, about four years at that point. Although, you know, I would consider myself, you know, uh, a a full timer at that point. But uh, some of the guys with the FOP, uh, in one of the lodges just outside of Boulder approached me and they're like, Hey, we got this sergeant that needs to have a liver transplant. And, you know, we, we've been seeing, you've been doing some comedy and stuff. Do you think maybe you could put a show together for him? And I was like, yeah, you know, sure. We can make that happen. And so I had been DJing from like the age of 16 on up and I had all this sound gear and um, I was like, let's do it. So I got some of the guys that I performed with at comedy works who now are really big comedians. And uh, we did this show and we raised like over, ten thousand dollars in one night for this wow wow and i was really um excited about that i didn't know that this would be something and uh i was able to create more stage time by beginning to produce shows and more people after they went to that show um started asking me you know hey man you know can you come do a little bit of comedy here and there and next thing you know um over the next several years a lot of the people who are close to me even my advisor at the sheriff's office who retired the division chief uh, he ended up having to have a liver transplant as well. And my partner in narcotics that worked for the university um, in Boulder, he ended up having a heart transplant uh, all of a sudden. And so I did shows to help benefit those. And then I was just trying to, you know, to do that a bunch of different places to help out. And it gave me a lot of stage time and I was able to hone my craft. And uh, I really got serious about comedy once I started realizing that this was a very positive outlet. And I made it a priority, quite frankly. And when it, you make something a priority and you really put your effort into it, it, uh, it, it kind of explodes. Uh, in 2018, what really kind of really pushed it off the catalyst is I emailed this guy who most people know in law enforcement communities by the name of Officer Daniels. And uh, I just say, hey, man, I'd like to collab with you sometime. You know, he's a big online presence. And I posted a show that I was doing and I'm um, getting ready to do this show at Nisi's. And lo and behold, Officer Daniel shows up and I'm like, what? And so he's like, do you know who I am? But I was in my mode of getting ready to go on stage and I, I couldn't even place who he was at the moment when he showed up. He's like, I'm Officer Daniels. I'm like, oh my God. And so uh, 
after that first show and in between that and the second show, he's like, hey, let's go outside and we're going to introduce you to the online community. I mean, I had a social media presence, but nothing like today. And uh, we struck up a, a friendship and, you know, he liked what I was doing. And, uh, you know, we started promoting, uh, or I shouldn't say promoting, collaborating. And then I got an opportunity to become part of Humanize the Badge and they had to take a vote within the board and I got brought on. And so I have traveled here and there with Humanize the Badge and I've been pushing a lot of social media with uh, comedy. And I got my first special last year in 2019 with Drybar. And, and so it's been kind of a roller coaster riding over this last year. You know, I spent a lot of my time on my days off traveling around the country until this pesky little COVID situation came up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of impacted us at all. So like I've had like 20 plus almost 30 shows that we've had to kick back um, to unknown dates. So yeah, I mean, that's how I got into it. And it's been, um, it's been remarkable the impact I've been able to have on people uh, because I'm so open now about my mental health struggles and I'm not ashamed to say that anymore. And uh, you know, a lot of people, especially cops or EMS personnel, they won't ever openly say, Hey, you know, that's great in public or yeah, I share that same experience. But I get a lot of contact afterwards, after shows, or you know, a text message or an email. Hey, thanks a lot. You know, it's really good to see your people like you that are you know open about this because I thought I was the only one. And I've done a lot of stuff with like the bridge in Ohio, which helps EMS responders, including fire personnel, police, and everybody um, deal with their own issues that they have going on. So it, it's kind of been uh, a whole circle that I started. I got into this, but I didn't realize it was going to have the impact um, that it's had for me personally but also for my colleagues, um, not only internally at the sheriff's office, but also abroad throughout the United States. You know, there, you, you've touched on so many interesting uh, topics regarding um, em emotional well-being, um, how each individual officer or, or first responder deals with the traumatic situations that they, that they encounter. And, um, uh, you know, Dr. Gil Martin's book, Kevin Gil Martin, uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, see him speak on numerous occasions, and and uh, they, his book was was required reading for every person who went through our police academy in with the Las Vegas Police Department. So, um, and and what he, you know, one of the things that he espouses is balance in your life. You know, I, I I've had a very similar upbringing as you did. I became a cop when I was 19 and I, I was a cadet from the time I was 16. So I, I, and I, and the, and the guy who I thought was the greatest cop in the world, um, lived, lived a, a, a cop 24 seven. He bought an old police car and he outfitted it with red lights and sirens so he could make traffic stops when he was off duty. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I thought... We call he, those police impersonators now. We yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it was a small community, so, you know, yeah. he the, the chief let him do it. Uh, but I, I found, and he, he was my hero. I thought this guy was the greatest cop ever. Until I, I got to see how inherently sad his life was. Because mm -hmm. he didn't have anything else. So the fact that you identified that, and then used because i mean you're you're a talented guy you you took a talent that you had and you crafted it to to both bring balance into your life but
but also to entertain people, which has its own it, its own um, uh, criteria for happiness. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. How have yeah. how have you been received by the law enforcement community? Um, with open arms, like it's amazing um, the impact um, that that I that I've been able to have. But I think it's just um, people can relate. I, I would say the number one way is when cops see me perform and they see some of the stuff that I talk about. Like my show for the general public is not the same as it is for a cop crowd. Like I'll use the vernacular that we use in law enforcement. Uh, like, you know, we're, like we're probably going to use and have used a little bit here in our conversation. And I'm one of them. I'm on the team already. And then when they see the scenarios that I talk about, um, you know, uh, just to give you an example is – uh, I would never do this joke uh, for a regular public crowd. And I'll, I'll tell you why. The first time I ever ran this joke, I did it at an open mic um, in Denver. And it was just a bunch of random young people down at this bar. And I talked about uh, when I was in uh, patrol, when I was working patrol, and I had a recruit when I was an FTO. And we went to the suicide where this guy uh, basically sat in the passenger seat of his car and uh, just uh, – discharged the shotgun taking everything off from the neck up mm -hmm. and uh it's weird how a lot of the paths so these interesting calls cross each other um but that same guy who was a uh sergeant that was on that call with me that night in the canyon he was a detective on this call <clears throat> and uh he shows up and you know of course you got to identify the decedent right away and he starts rooting through the guy's uh, belongings and his clothes and trying to find his wallet to identify him and he pulls the guy's driver's license out. He covers the thumb. He covers the guy's head with his thumb. He's like, hey, you think this is our guy right here? And <laughs> I, took, I took that and turned it into a joke for law enforcement talking about how we have this dark humor. Yeah. And when I did, and when I say the punchline, you know, he took his finger and put it over the guy's head. He's like, hey, do you think this is our guy right here? I did that the first time in that open mic, and it was crickets, man. You could have oh, heard, I can imagine. You could have heard anything, pin drop or whatever. Fast forward to doing that bit at the bridge comedy show uh, in Dublin, Ohio for cops and paramedics and uh, firefighters just destroyed the room because everybody in that room knew the context of what I was talking about, had been in those rooms where you're with the decedent and you're, you know, it's just, you're, you're, there's a dark humor you would never do in front of the family or anything like that. But that dark humor is what keeps cops alive. And, yes. <clears throat> and, it, that translates to the stage for me by sharing those experiences. It's very relatable. They know I've been there. They know I've seen that because there's nobody who's going to come up with that and talk about that that hasn't been in that scenario before. So being relatable to people and not always in that dark sense, because my comedy is really not dark at all. Um, that's just one example, you know, I'm just trying to give to you, but um, it's really been open arms acceptance. Um, you know, people probably ask me the common questions I get are, when I get off stage, when anybody see me is, are you really still a cop or are you, or in fact, like if it's for a public show, like, are you really a cop? Cause they think it's like an act sometimes. Um, Cause they tell <laughs> me, you know, I've, I've never run into a funny cop before. And I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. Um, nobody, <laughs> nobody calls the cops when they have their kid graduate from college and be like nine one mercy. Yes. Send your guys over right away. We've got cake. We've got ice cream, you know, send them all over. Nobody calls us for that. They call us for when it's, you know, the disturbance at the, at the party where, you know, the uncles got out of control and now they've had too much and everybody's fighting 
or, you know, we're going to the scenes where it's not uh, a positive situation. Nobody's happy to see us arrive. You know, so let, let me, let me ask you, let me take that just one, one step. Um, so how has the public received you? I mean, do you, you know, sometimes uh, you put yourself out there and there's been so much negative press and, 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 you know, abuse of law enforcement officers. Have you been confronted with that type of situation? You know, quite frankly, like anybody who are, well, so I guess there's two responses to that. From the public, no. Um, at large, anybody who finds out I'm a comedian, um, or if I bring it up while I'm at work in the field or anything like that, they're kind of amazed, like, really? And uh, like young kids, especially when I say young kids, I'm like college kids that we run into or whatever, and you say, you know, I'll be like, yeah, man, you got Snap? They're like, oh, yeah, you want Snap? And I'm like, yeah, I'm on Snap. <laughs> they're like, what? And they go, you know, they check me out later on. They'll send me a message and they'll be like, wow, this is amazing. Or um, so it's really well received. I think the only time that I really see any negative feedback is you'll get the people who have been exposed to so much of the negativity on social media that they group me into what I think a lot of cops experience is this, this automatic response that all cops are bad. Right. And I think people have this, not everybody, there is a part of our society that has this preconceived notion that, you know, we're sitting in briefing and everybody's like, all right, who's asked what we're going to go kick tonight? You know, like there's this actual dialogue going on in briefings around the country that, you know, we're going to go out and use force inappropriately, which is absolutely not, not true. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you have those people who make their comments, but usually I don't really respond to anything like that. Uh, my followers and stuff tend to be making, you know, they'll start sticking up for me. And it's very rare because when you look at my comedy and you see it, it's very, my comedy is very clean. Um, it's very situational and uh, you know, it's hard to poke fun of it. Like when I'm doing jokes about going on bear calls or um, dealing with students who are, you know, quick witted and coming with good comebacks at me and some of my jokes. And um, right. yeah. So overall, man, hundred percent, I feel like it's been positive on the, on for the most part. You know, I can't believe that we have almost run out of time. This interview has gone so quickly. Um, so where do, where do folks, how can they follow you and find out where you're going to be, um, where you're going to be performing? So if you want to follow me, you can follow me anywhere. If you, any of your social media platforms, Snap, Twitter, Google Graham, Instagram, Facebook, my website, everything is just my name, Vinny Montez. And uh, it's all out there. And, uh, you know, I encourage you to look me up. I encourage people to come to a show if they can or go online and just see some of my stuff that I have out there. Uh, I hope it, um, I hope it brings a smile to your face. And I certainly hope that if you're a fellow law enforcement officer or anybody in the EMS field, if you're struggling with any of these demons and there are tons of demons that cops face and I still face demons to this day. I just want to be honest and absolutely upfront about that. Uh, don't be afraid to reach out to somebody because I could name at least half a dozen officers who have taken their lives in my agency uh, over the course of my career here. And yes. I don't think anybody ever saw it coming. And uh, a lot of that taboo factor of, well, I don't want to be perceived as weak or not capable. Um, that's all bullshit. And you have brothers and sisters that are standing there to your left and to your right. That if you just reach out, man, they will help. They will listen. They will help you get the help that you need. And you're not alone. I mean, I'm telling you from a guy who's been doing this for over two decades now that it's okay. And it sounds cliche, but it's okay to not be okay. And if you're not, um, that's fine. You're a human being. And, you know, we put our pants on just like everybody else does. We have bills like everybody else does. 
Um, you know, just because we're cops, we're not exempt from having uh, things affect us at the home life. And I can tell you, my brothers and sisters who are listening, if you're struggling, I guarantee you it's impacting your family. And I can tell you I've lost relationships over me not dealing with my issues in my earlier years. Um, and I regret, I regret that to this day. Um, I certainly learned the hard way. And, you know, often a lot of us as cops, we've got to touch that hot stove in order to learn. Yes. But uh, I just want to tell you, everybody that's listening, uh, don't be afraid. There's no shame in it. And in today's day and age, we need to protect, take care of each other. And I just wish everybody to be safe. And uh, God bless you guys. And thank you all for doing what you do and continuing to carry on the, the load as cops or firefighters or paramedics in this country. I appreciate uh, everything that you're doing. That I mean, you know that my organization, the Wounded Blue, exists just for that reason, to to work with law enforcement officers who are struggling either physically or emotionally. So uh, I really appreciate everything that you do. Uh, and I can tell from my, my listeners, uh, he, this guy is funny as shit. I got to tell you. And he's, Vinny, you're doing a great job. And I, I really look forward to seeing you again in the future and talking to you again. Oh, Randy, thank you so much for having me on. And, uh, I wish you the best, brother, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you at this conference this year if it takes place, right? You got it. All right. There's something very important I want you to do for me. If you've been listening to the Voice of American Law Enforcement for any time, you know that we are very dedicated to the law enforcement community here. I would like you to go to a website. It's www.thewoundedblue.com. I want you to read about how we at this organization are aiding injured and disabled law enforcement officers. If you are a law enforcement officer and you have been injured or disabled and you feel forgotten and alone, this is why we exist. We have a fully trained peer support team, all made of police officers who have been shot, stabbed, beaten, run over, screwed up, and screwed up. They know what you're going through, and we exist. For you. You are the part of the Blue family and you deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, many police agencies and cities do not treat their officers with respect and dignity when they are injured either physically or emotionally. So go to thewoundedblue.org. If you are a citizen and you want to help, please check out how you can join the Wounded Blue. And if you're a police officer or have been, exist for you. So check out woundedblue.org. Now, I would also urge you to see our film. It is on Amazon, it is on iTunes, it's the Microsoft Store, it's pretty much every platform you can imagine. It's called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. You would be shocked at how the men and women of this, you know, the law enforcement community in this country, many are being treated with such disrespect. Many people, most people, even cops, believe that if you are severely injured in the line of duty, you're going to be taken care of financially and emotionally. In many cases, that is not true. Please watch the film and help the wounded blue. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we have the grim duty to report on line of duty deaths of law enforcement officers. We do this to pay our respect to the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Well, COVID virus 
taking a terrible toll on the American law enforcement officer. As of this taping, 106 American law enforcement officers have lost their lives due to this COVID insanity. And I'm going to read some of their names. Deputy Sheriff Wyatt Mazur, Bonneville County Sheriff's Office, Idaho. Deputy Sheriff Wyatt Mazur was struck and killed by a patrol car at the intersection of Bone Road and Ninth Road at 5.20 a.m. He had initially responded to a single vehicle rollover crash. When he arrived, he encountered a woman in mental crisis walking away from the crash carrying a machete. Deputy Mazur and another responding deputy attempted to talk to her for several minutes as she continued to disobey commands as she walked in the roadway. A third deputy who was responding to the scene came upon the group on the dark roadway and inadvertently struck Deputy Mazur. Deputy Mazur was transported to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center where he succumbed to his injuries. The woman was taken into custody. Deputy Mazur was a U.S. Air Force veteran had served with the Bonneville County Sheriff's, Sheriff's Office for 13 months. Deputy Sheriff Wyatt Mazur, Bonneville County Sheriff's Office, Ohio, uh, uh, Idaho, excuse me. End of watch, Monday, May 18, 2020. The rest of the names that I'm going to read have died as a result of contracting COVID-19 while on duty. The first is Officer C.K. Yan of the United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, Office of Field Operations. Officer C.K. Yan died after contracting COVID-19 while on duty at the International Mail Facility at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York City. Officer C.K. Yan, end of watch, May 16, 2020. Police Officer Francisco Scorpo, Patterson Police Department, New Jersey. Police Officer Francisco Scorpo died after contracting COVID-19 while it confirmed exposure while on duty on Grand Street. Police Officer Francisco S. Scorpo, Patterson Police Department, New Jersey. End of watch, Sunday, April 12, 2020. Sergeant I. Tarek Patterson, Bedminster Police Department, New Jersey. Sergeant Al Tarek Patterson died after contracting COVID-19 during an exposure while on duty. End of watch, Sunday, April 12, 2020. Sergeant Rob Roberts, Glen Ridge Police Department, New Jersey. Cause of death, COVID. End of watch, Monday, May 11, 2020. Correctional Officer Kenneth J. Moore, District of Columbia, Department of Youth and Rehabilitation Services. End of watch, Wednesday, April 1st. 2020. Sergeant Jose Diaz Ayala, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, end of watch, Saturday, April 4th, 2020. Correctional Officer Beresford Anthony Morse, Washington State Department of Corrections, end of watch, Sunday, May 17th, 2020. Officer Richard G. McCoy, United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, end of watch, Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. Correction Supervisor Ifela Idiabi, Kansas Department of Corrections, end of watch Tuesday, May 12, 2020. Correction Supervisor George Bernie Robert, Kansas Department of Corrections, end of watch Monday, May 11, 2020.
Corrections Officer Jesse Wayne Bolton, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, end of watch Friday, May 8, 2020. Corrections Officer Maria Mendez, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, end of watch Saturday, May 9, 2020. Officer Omar Palmer, United States Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, end of watch Monday, May 4, 2020. May they rest in peace. I'm very proud to announce a major accomplishment. It is our television series, The Voices of the Blue. Voices of the Blue is a YouTube television series. It has six episodes. Uh, it is, it is uh, written and directed by Mr. Jason Harney, a retired sergeant from Metro Police Las Vegas, who is a, an award-winning filmmaker. He was the uh, director and writer of our documentary film called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. And now we have our own television series. It is a, it is a powerful, powerful series. It, it, it features stories by law enforcement officers uh, and experts in the field of post-traumatic stress. Um, many of these officers have been seriously injured in the line of duty uh, and, and talk very powerfully about their experiences. Um, this is some. This is a must-see for law enforcement and their families. But also, if if you are just simply a supporter of law enforcement and want to know more about what they face, you don't want to miss this series. It's free. All you got to do is go to YouTube and subscribe to Wounded Blue TV. That's Wounded Blue TV on YouTube. It uh, is going to air. The first episode is going to air um, on Friday, May first. And then uh, another uh, part of the series will drop every two weeks. So go to YouTube, put in Wounded Blue TV, subscribe, and watch this series. You won't be sorry. Trust me on this one. And I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. We try to bring you interesting guests, interesting perspectives on the law enforcement uh, uh, community here, and um, and we do our best to entertain you as well. So thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next week here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement on the America Out Loud Network.